morning, Sharon. How are you? I'm fine. I'm frustrated. Why are you frustrated? Well, I don't understand why our astute president shut down our right to make oil, and now we have to buy it someplace else. That what is that? That doesn't even make sense. Well, Biden is not making the decisions. He's a puppet. Yeah, but why? Uh, would... Okay. Well, I'll get I'll get to that. Is the progressives, uh, including the the AOC uh, uh, insane Green New Deal, where we're going to save the planet uh, because the people are causing this the planet to to warm too fast and it's causing tornadoes and it's, and forest fires and hurricanes and and everything bad in the world are caused by human beings well you know what was happening in the world before human beings what will happen after human beings according to them that we're going to self destruct well destruction is not something that we can control so Biden, when he came in, made a promise to Sanders and his socialism group so he could get their votes that he would tell the, tell the uh, electorate that he'll be moderate and bring the country together when knowingly he knew to get elected, which he's wanted for 25 of his 50 years, maybe longer, and, and never was qualified, never will be. Uh, but so they, Sanders and his people, his um, um, control freaks, Elizabeth Warren is one, Pelosi, Schumer, um, AOC and the squad, and uh, that group have control. And their theory and it's not based on anything more than the the pandemic was having Fauci run it. Now we got Biden running the whole concept that we have to save the world from people. Well, then why in the hell is he letting all these people in America that will do nothing but erode our economy and our values and morals and you name it? Because the progressives believe that we have to save the world from itself and people from themselves. This is the whole concept, is if you are able to get people to follow you on the basis of, of everybody is going to be happy. It's the Marxist theory that you, just, you shouldn't have to strive for any ownership or wealth. If you don't do that, then you'll be happy. So Biden is a puppet. And he's taking us down the path like the Wizard of Oz took them down the yellow brick road. Is that in the, the destination is built within the progressive philosophy that we can take care of everyone despite uh, differences in uh, religion, color, uh, values, so on and so forth, by by promising them um, 
Shangri-La or Camelot. And of course, that never happens. And what's going to happen is they're going to run out of the ability to borrow money. And there is no profit. The country has no profit. But anyway, uh, does that answer your question there? Well, the, the ridiculous thing is what he doesn't understand is people like to work for something. If, if everything was given to us, what kind of a world would that be? You, you need to be able to work for something that you believe in. And a lot of times when someone does that, other people start looking at it in their direction and it gets better. So, I just, I don't know. I think this guy's nuts. Well, it really boils down to, do you believe in top-down uh, control or bottom-up uh, participative? There has to be participation. Per participation in not only con controlling where we're going, but actively participating in it. And you mentioned the word work. The magic word is work. Human beings have bettered the world. Good morning, America. This is Jerry Rhodes coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, representing the American Enterprise Party, a third party representing the enterprising workers of America. What I want to do today for my podcast, this episode, is to start dealing with what the swing vote means. What it means to um, you listeners and what it means for keeping America great. I'm not here proposing saving America. I'm not proposing keeping or proposing making America great again. That was uh, similar to Hitler's statement, keep Germany great again, or make Germany great again. What is a swing vote? Well, let's take the current Congress with uh, Mr. Biden as the president. We have a 50-50 Senate, Harris, the tiebreaker, but is she really the tiebreaker? Because without Manchin, the one-man swing vote, everything continues to be gridlocked. That's the reason we have the filibuster, is to try to uh, elicit reason rather than ranting and raving without a logical objective and goal. So what do, what do I mean when I say the American Enterprise Party is a swing vote? Well, what it really means is that we have a one-party government. We no longer have a democratic democracy. We have the Reds against the Blues, the Liberals against the Conservatives, the McCoys against the uh, Hatfields. We've got the Progressives against the Regressives, so on and so forth. Antifa against the Poor Boys. 
never ends. So, what else do we have to know? Well, we have 27 red states. And, no, 20, I'm sorry, 27 red states, 23 blue states. What does that mean? That means that they are principally controlled by one party. The blue states are the smaller states, less populated, having less of the popular vote. The blue states, however, are the larger states with big cities, big inner cities, such as New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Atlanta, um, blue states. Um, the red states are more like Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, Louisville, uh, depends, Alabama swings, uh, Arkansas can swing, the Southern Caucus, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, used to be Arkansas or Arizona and Las Vegas, but they're no longer the blue states. So we really, across the country, um, verify my position that we are no longer a democracy at any level of government. We have what we have been calling the swing states for a presidential election, which were noted as blue states, the, the states with lower population, uh, fewer inner city ghettos, um, which typically voted Republican. Matter of fact, you take a look, their history is they are a unigovernment state, Republican. And the blue, the blue states, the large states, the New York in terms of population, California, Illinois, Texas is a, is a, a swing state. It's but it's it's temp, temp, typically gone to uh, Republican, and uh, then we have the smaller red states that have been uh, swinging because of their minority voters. Uh, is the minority vote a swing vote? Absolutely. They swing usually to the Democrats because the Democrats are saying that they are the party of the people. And the Republicans are the party of big business, wealth. Well, who's in the middle? Uh, well, they call them the independents. Uh, in, in the percentage-wise, 30% would, would go red and 30% would go blue. And 40% would be those calling themselves independents that swing one way or the other. But usually... The real swing vote is the minorities, and they swing where they get the most promises, and most of them get their 
uh, welfare checks that are um, there are stimulus checks, there are Medicaid checks, there are uh, food stamps, and uh, the red states are more inclined to be small businesses because uh, they've been able to get bank loans and SBA loans with uh, government support, SBA, the SBA organizations, the the Fannie Mae's and the Freddie Mae's and the uh, subprime mortgages and the banks, in terms of politics, would swing typically red because they have all of these small business accounts uh, and the big investment houses would swing blue because that's where their bread is buttered when it comes to... Uh, sustaining the stock market uh, without restraint. So the swing boat wins, typically, if it's gridlocked or if the minorities decide that they are not being, the promises aren't being fulfilled, and then they swing as as an independent to... Uh, whatever party has a um, a um, wealthy candidate that has name recognition. So none of this is a, a democratic uh, state. It's obviously more autocratic than it is democratic. It even starts to become... become uh, more communist than Christian, more of a commune than a an opportunity to advance and be, get a part, a piece of the American pie that we will also call the American dream. By pulling uh, the independent vote one way or the other, does not solve the problem of gridlock. We still to get partisan decisions to whoever's in control of the House, the, the Senate, Supreme Court, and the presidency. And that's been the case for the last administrations. And it also continues to exa- exist at the state levels that I've been talking about. So we, don't, we haven't had an effective third party as the swing vote, to take the uh, independents and provide them with a a party of significance so they don't have to swing themselves one way or the other just just depending upon the the money or the the, uh, name recognition of whoever they're going to vote for. It's a popularity contest at that time because they don't have a third alternative. Independent just doesn't define a party, it doesn't have a platform, it doesn't have a a, a um, candidate, doesn't have a campaign, doesn't have a, a the convention, doesn't elect um, their uh, candidates. So the swing vote, if it were represented 
the independents represented by the American Enterprise Party that is providing the democratic process by, as a swing vote, pulling the extremes towards the middle, which is where the independents are wanting it to be, rather than having to swing one way or the other and not be happy and continue to, to have this McCoys and Hatfields Congress and, and Supreme Court and the president sitting on top of that because of money and reg, name recognition. We have a democracy starting to take shape again. Uh, American Enterprise only needs five st- seats in the Senate and ten in the House right now because of the gridlock. Manchin's one vote, he's held his ground and amazingly has stopped progressive behind the screen of the Wizard of Oz or President Biden, who is now, for, for his ego, decided to help reform America into um, what, I, what I'll call in my book an oligarch. Uh, it's, it's not a tyranny yet. It's not a dictatorship. It's not an autocrat. An oligarch would be Another word would be monopsony, the buyer of last resort in our great American enterprise, which then limits new ideas, new technology, uh, progressive. Uh, the progressive concept is not is not for the small business; it's for the big business, and as for maybe they'll say bigger ideas. All of America has been made great on smaller ideas from more people than bigger ideas from Bezos or, or Musk or uh, Gates or Jobs or uh, uh, you name it, Buffett. Those guys that now say they are billionaires and their wealth, I guess unfortunately for them, is now writing on Biden's uh, 10 steps from bankruptcy and collapse, where the, where the 1929 is reincarnated with the, the, the stock market crashing, the derivative bubble popping, and America sitting here with debt and no uh, plan or backfill, as they're starting to call it, because our debt is beyond our cash flow. Well, what is the debt? Well, the debt is $30 trillion on the books. That's a budgetary loss. We lost $30 trillion since 1945. How did we do that? Well, the imbalance of trade, that takes away from our capability of making a profit, it really represents a loss. We're actually sending our ideas to other manufacturers and they sell it back to us after they re-engineer it and raise the price and we pay shipping. And so we lose money every year. And that's not just because of deficit spending, it's before deficit trade trading. The trade agreements have, have, were losers. And of course, Trump was trying to reverse that. He was starting to make advances. All of Trump's this, uh, policies 
were similar to what the American Enterprise Party now represents, except the party now represents 100 million enterprising Americans, not a base of 30 that would stick with him if if he shot somebody on the corner or believe that he's the best president since Lincoln. He's not. He lost the election. He lost the Senate and the House before he did that. The January 6th thing, that's just a hanging of him along with the impeachments just to get him out of the out of the way because he's getting too close to doing the big the big Grabowski and that's drain the swamp expose it and drain it and kill the woke alligators because that is a bureaucracy of huge monumental size it has an annual payroll throughout the country. This is federal and states of $1.9 trillion, including the best health care, fully paid. They say by the taxpayer, no, it's fully paid by us borrowing on treasury notes. Um, great health care and great pensions. And these people will live forever. We'll be paying them forever to the end of the century. And with Yellen now, the Treasury Secretary, we saying, well, we should fund our finances craziness with 100-year Treasury notes. Well, you know what the yield curve has done on Treasury bills? It used to be you get more interest if you, if you, you know, are willing to wait. Now you're getting less interest. So it inverted. And every time that happens, we have a recession. And if it's bad enough, we have a depression. And the Fed raising the interest rates during, to so supposedly fight inflation? Well, okay, say we have 10% inflation, which we're not too far from getting there. Well, they want to raise the, the, the discount rate to their member banks to, re, to, to prevent Americans running on banks to put their money in treasury bills. You know, so they, they raise the discount rate, which then means that variable uh, loans out there, mostly mortgages, are going to go up. Because as the discount rate goes up, so does the loan rate and the mortgage rate. And during uh, 1982, when Volcker was Fed chairman and Carter, who knew nothing about running a business, not even a peanut farm, his his dad did it and then his brother... <coughs> Uh, the uh, Volcker, the Fed, uh, raised the discount rate to, to 21%. The prime rate was 23%. Put a ton of small businesses out of business. It put the savings and loans out of business because they were, they were funding 6% mortgages. Now they had to do it out of 23% money. They blamed the savings and loans businesses and Wall Street for it. And... Lo and behold, what do we have? 2005, Greenspan resigns, 18 years of keeping his, his break on the, on the economy with low interest rates and, and allowing it to raise so he could raise the uh, market values since he was a libertarian, was replaced by a professor, his assistant at the Fed, professor from Harvard, who wrote a book on how you... Uh, uh, 
respond to a depression. And the book is talking about printing currency. You fill the economy with currency so you can buy your way out of the out of the depression. No, what it's doing is it's protecting the banks. So what happened when he got in? He raised the discount rate 500% in two years. It rolled all the way up to a 8% prime rate uh, in America and then 12% LIBOR rate around the world. Well, that was, that was a 500% increase. What happened to those subprime mortgages that were out there that, that had been put in tranches and sold off to foreign investors uh, with ratings that started on the first tranche, A, B, C, D. By the time you got down to the tranche for Ds, it was A, B, C, D again. And then all of a sudden, at the end, there were no, there was no collateral. So yes, Wall Street was at fault. But Paulson and Bush and Bernanke uh, uh, caused the crash of the stock market, the 401k plans, and the housing market took a $30 trillion hit. Call it a haircut, which is what you do in a bankruptcy. They said they were avoiding a bankruptcy. They even invested in General Motors, and American automobile manufacturers, except for Ford, took the money and still hasn't paid it back. So, uh, that has happened in the past, and it will happen now. Because what's the Fed going to do with Janet Yellen as the Treasury Secretary? She used to be the Fed chairman. They're going to inter- increase the interest rates. They are already. Well, if inflation is at 8%, in theory, their discount rate would be 10% to slow down the inflation to take more money out of the out of the currency because when the crash happens they got to they got to put money back in currency back into the economy well oh my gosh we just went through a pandemic where they spent 300 years worth of currency bailing out the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus package which is in fact is what's causing inflation here that and the imbalance of trade and the fact that that China and all of our uh, trade part, so-called trade partners are charging us uh, exorbitant shipping costs on these containers. And we have to pay to unload them and we have to pay to get them to the shelves. And at this point, as that supply line shrinks, because over in China, they're locking things down. And at our other locations, if we've got to charge them for the shipping and all, and all of the costs it takes to get get it to our our market, our consumption market, which is the biggest in the world, we should be charging them also for shelf space because we charge Coca-Cola so much for shelf space in the retailers or wholesalers. So business on an international basis right now, we're not in the game. We're the losers. Who are the winners? China, Japan, South Korea, Mexico, uh, Canada, the ones we have in balance of trade, India, Vietnam, Indonesia, Taiwan. There are more winners in the trade war than because of what America is losing. That trade imbalance is a loss. 
in the game of business. And who's the winners? Well, okay, who are the winners? Russia. They're also, we have an imbalance to them because we're buying ourselves, having to buy our energy from them. We had to up the, the ante for the OPEC, now the $130 uh, dollars a, a barrel. Uh, Canada, or I mean China, all of their goods are going to be raised, prices are going to be raised because of the economy. Their economy is starting to flatten out and go down. We had negative growth in our GDP in this last month. So anybody that says America can grow its way out of this problem, and it's not an issue, it's not an issue between the parties, it's a problem for America. And guess who's going to pay for this? It's the small businesses. It's, we're going to experience the demise of the small business as, as Amazon takes over and, and Walton Walmart takes over in the smaller communities and we start to consolidate all of our business into big business. And big brother Biden and his brotherhood will sit on a powder keg. It's called a derivative bubble. So how do we avoid this? Let me talk to you about that. The, the swing vote wins by pulling these extremes to the middle voters. American Enterprise only needs the five seats in the Senate and ten in the House. At each state level, the formula works the same. To win policy and legislation to a true moderation of borrowing and trade deficits and spending deficits. This pulls us together. Divided, we've, we're, going, we're failing. Because you can divide the two parties who then control 27 states on one end and 23 on the other, and they're shooting at each other, so no one wins in trade that way when we are being taken over by the trade agreements that were signed by previous non-business types that were present in the, in the legislatures and the Congress that that put us in this trap. Uh, we got to keep America great as a um, democracy, not a mockery, because that's what we have now. So, American Enterprise Party does doesn't need to have even have a candidate for president. We only need to be the swing vote. However. The president, red or blue, conservative or liberal, regressive or progressive, uh, must abide for abide by what they're given as uh, bills that are being passed to to be put into law. And I propose across America, we don't need forty thousand bills proposed by lawmakers. We want job makers, not lawmakers. They're all attorneys or bankers or, or uh, PhDs. We need some common folk in, in our decision-making process here that, had, that have a business or had one or a farm or whatever so we can manage this giant, great American enterprise to profitability. 
So we don't need a candidate for president. We only need the swing vote. However, the president, red or blue, conservative, liberal, regressive or progressive, they affect the culture. So that's really what we're now going to have to deal with to carry out the reorganization plan. I have a trilogy, three books. The first book is the American Enterprise Party swing vote to drain the swamp and uh, quell the alligators. Uh, why would we? Why do we need a third party? Even the founders recognized that a two-party system wouldn't work. That if we didn't have competition, that we would not have democracy. So that's in the first book. The second book is the American Enterprise Party Manifesto, which has a plan, a quasi-reorganization of of America's finances and trade policies and government policies for taxation, and I'll go through those in a minute, that we have to change. We have to be focusing in on the bottom line. We have to eliminate trade deficit. How do you do that? Well, you charge back what they're charging us to get the products to us and on the shelves. That's going to have to be their cost. They're going to have to absorb that over there. They're going to have to be more efficient and productive rather than passing it on to us, and then we have to owe them more than they owe us. And then that's some 30 countries that we have a trade deficit. The rest of them, we have a a smaller trade credit or a trade surplus. All those figures need to be the basis of whoever's running this this country at, at the highest levels, not just the federal government, but each state. We have to do this on a decentralized basis. We can't do everything from Washington. We have to have every every governor in the 50 states accountable for their trade. And they're, they're part of the trade deficit or the trade surplus. And then the rest of it is being more uh, responsible and accountable for the size of government. We need to cut government in half. Over the next 10, 20, to the end of the century, we need to have a, t- a smaller, tighter government and a bigger, productive, efficient economy. That's where we'll win the trade war. It's not going to be a nuclear war. You think Biden is going to have Moscow wiped out before he can even get a a nuclear weapon to New York City? Or if he gets one there, he's wiped out next? No, it's a deterrent. He's playing the, the fear game very well. He's good at that. The KGB, why wouldn't he? Yeah, he can scare us to death and then we do nothing. We let him get his USSR. Well, you know, maybe he won't get any more. Hitler said the same thing about Czechoslovakia. <clears throat> he's, he's another Hitler. You know, so, yeah, we should be putting a stop to this crazy, we can, we can get away with destroying infrastructure in, in any country. It shouldn't be allowed. Go through the UN. Make the UN have some, some power rather than having Russia and China as the head of the Security Council. And not even vetting all country or countries in the world to be either for us or against us. 
we have to use the UN and the power of our uh, consumers to get the to get the world converted to what will work. Communism doesn't work. Marxism doesn't exist. That's all that's saying is stay at home, own nothing, and you'll be happy. Of course, that doesn't work out. Everybody drinks and 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 become alcoholics, and the whole country collapses, like Russia, and like Venezuela, and like Cuba. They're examples of how it doesn't work. American enterprise works. It's not American pie or the American dream. It's American enterprise. Work, where people have to learn to earn and have a skill to build. And I'm going to give you some examples of how I implemented that with my consulting business. And it works. Teams with objectives of winning and goals on how to get there, that wins in sports, in life, and in the world. The rest of the world, if they want to be self-sufficient, have to take it upon themselves to convert to the rule of law, a constitution, and support enterprise. So right now, the proposal of the American Enterprise Party is that we take the American capitalism, capitalism, American socialism, which is not disliberating everybody, it's work. They come together, and the proof is every day in every business, they come together, monetary capital, human capital, <coughs> working together in our enterprises, primarily the small enterprises, not the big ones that are, that, that are just service companies. Amazon's a service company. Facebook is, a, is an advertising company. We've got service companies running the country. We want the producers to run the country. The service companies aren't to be the leaders. It's to be those that produce the GDP, the gross domestic product. If we don't do it that way, guess what? We do have what's called a monopsony. The government is the buyer of the last resort, and they're supported by the Brotherhood, which is the big brother or the the big businesses, big unions, big media, big advertising, big unions. Big Brother and the Brotherhood. If you don't understand that concept, then read Orwell's 1984. Because the way we're headed, we're going to be there in 2084 for sure. And at that time, China will be uh, taking over the world. So uh, let me get back here to the point here. Um, Unless we make these changes in the culture... uh, we're going to be Rome. Washington, D.C. is Rome. Therefore, how does American Enterprise win these seats? Go, go funding from 40 million independents looking to save the American dream. So there is ways of funding the candidacy, candidacy of the swing vote um, seats. Okay. My qualifications for even writing the books, or even getting into this. And no, I'm not running for president. The American Enterprise Party doesn't even have to have the president. The president's going to be a lame duck with a two-party system anyway. Um, 
Biden's going to be a lame duck when, when the midterms go to the Republicans. And, and Trump was a lame duck when he lost the, the Congress. Not, the most important thing is Congress. And also having a leader that can lead and recognize that the game we're in is enterprise. It's not nuclear war, uh, warheads. Um, and we don't want to spend all of our money on, on bulking up the, uh, the weapons of mass destruction if we might need them and then get attacked from some other planet and then not know what the hell to do. Okay, I'm going to talk about my qualifications. Uh, I'm not running. I am the CEO and founder of the American Enterprise Party. Uh, do we have a, a, a thousand followers, a, a million followers? Uh, no. No, this was an idea that I came up with in 1991, and I've been preparing and working on my own businesses. I, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I was in the healthcare business, the nursing home business, and I'll give you some examples of my success there. And really, it would lead to the success of this party because it's built on the the whole concept of teams. And uh, in our team, it's um, uh, the um, the home office is federal and the teams are, are republic. Each state is a team. And they're going to be measured under the American Enterprise Party concept is that we have to have accountability at the lowest level of where the problems start. Mass shootings start locally, and they start for a specific reason when you start digging down to the problem, not talking issues. As uh, Rayburn says, you know, leave everything to an issue, go along to get along, and just bide your time because it's all based on tenure. But we don't want that. That's ineffective. It's why we're in trouble. Each governor is going to have their own team. They will have their own analytics for measuring their performance. Now, this doesn't mean that the American Enterprise Party has to control everything. It's only the structure. It's the structure that doesn't even need to have a party. It would be the culture of America. We need to have a cultural change. How can you change the culture? Well, the culture right now is violence, vulgarity, and excessive wealth in a few hands. That's where it's evolved to. You know, in the world, if, if things evolve, that we have revolutions because the majority of people aren't given the opportunity that the people on top say they should have. That's America right now. We don't have a democracy. We don't have equal opportunity. We don't have the ghettos that look like Nazi Germany concentration camps or ghettos in our inner cities. It's despicable. The first priority is to clean up our act. When I went into the nursing homes, this is what I did. And, I, and my first one, I took it over without having any experience recruited out of Simpson College in Iowa, a small school, to Arthur Anderson, the largest accounting firm, to be a consultant. I had a liberal arts degree. That's all I knew. I didn't know accounting, didn't know cost accounting, didn't know management. Anyway, through the years I spent there and the years that I had, was in a partner in two other accounting firms and then started my own accounting firm and now I have owned my own businesses, 
I am presenting what, in my opinion, works at every level of America. That's what made America great. We're the greatest business ever invented. Adam Smith started it and we're carrying it on, but we're losing it because of lousy leadership. Leadership's not qualified to run the business. What happens in any business? If the leader isn't qualified, then you lose the business. We're losing the business. Donald Trump understood this. That's what he was trying to do, but he didn't have a humble bone in his body and he was bound to lose because he stepped on too many toes, didn't have a plan for draining the swamp, and had a, a slogan that was matching Hitler's. We're not going for nationalism. We're going for individual people. Being the result of winning games, everybody wins, not just certain individuals. Now, the more you learn and the more you will earn and the more skill you have to build, the more successful you will be. So the responsibility is to be ethical, patriotic, and carry your weight and have ideas, start businesses, or help existing business have new ideas. It's all on the basis of growing, not slowing our economy. The, the gross domestic product has to be the example and, and report card because that takes everyone collectively to narrow it down to each person's share. And the reason we have unions is because the capitalists wouldn't share. I don't know that they've ever learned to share. Uh, and the workers never really learned to earn. They just took a job and went to the job that they didn't like went through the motions, and if the company was turned out great, they might get a dividend, or they might get a bonus, or they might this or that. Well, nothing was according to plan. Well, here I'm saying planning is the first step to running a business. And the leadership carrying out the plan, whether it be a turnaround or whether it be to expand the existing business, is to establish your goals around the objective of making money. Money represents profit, represents growth. You reinvest it, you can grow. If you don't have profits, you can't grow. If you can't grow, you shrink. If you shrink, you go away. That's what's happening to America. So it's a pretty simple uh, formula. So divided we fall, enterprise we rise. To keep America great as a democracy, not a mockery. Okay, we have to go through uh, the things I went through in my uh, experience with taking contracts on nursing homes and turning them around. Well, the first I got after I sold my accounting and software company uh, was from a rabbi that I had met at the legislature when we were testifying for how to set nursing home rates. and And he had a 206-bed nursing home, Elgin, Illinois, um, Rabbi Yampel, and uh, his administrator got killed in a car wreck. The place that was a client of mine and when it was my accounting firm, so I knew it. <coughs> I didn't know how bad it was until I got it. <laughs> I became the administrator. with I didn't even have a license. And... Uh, you could smell it from the parking lot. My wife 
and my son, we had installed software there, and they had both worked there. They both uh, weren't there after I took it over. They had other things, other jobs. And uh, so within five days after I got there, the director of nursing quit, the assistant director of nursing quit, the therapy company quit. Uh, I had uh, people that didn't show up for work. I had theft going on. Um, and, I, and I didn't even know a lot of this in the first five days, but the, on the fifth day, uh, my uh, director of nursing that was a consultant that I brought in came up to me and said, we've had a drowning in the whirlpool. And I said, oh my God, how did that happen? Well, I went down there and the, the 93-year-old gentleman uh, was in a lift, a slang lift, and, and would, you lower them into the whirlpool because they're contracted up, all hunched, hunched up, and the water, the, the whirlpool will you know, loosen that up. Well, the therapist, the physical therapist, walked away to do paperwork behind a screen, wasn't watching, and, and it's, the rule is never leave the patient's side if they're in water. Well, he either had a seizure, heart attack, or whatever, and fell, went under, and was dead, died. It was never proven that he drowned. Because when you drown, you you don't have you don't have water in your lungs. He had water in his lungs, but they had, they attested it to drowning. And I had uh, I had the police department out there that day. I had I had TV there interviewing me. I had the state public health um, regulators there. Uh, all I could say on TV was we had a horrible accident. I'm here. I'm new. I'm fixing this. I've called the family in Washington, the state of Washington. They're sympathetic because he was 93. He probably died of a, a heart attack or a seizure. And would you please ship his body to the state of Washington? They didn't sue. The state put us on, on a conditional license, which meant we had to pay a fine and I had to comply with the plan of correction, which meant I had to go down into the therapy room every day and make sure that we weren't drowning people, I guess. Anyway, that was in the five days. By November, um, when we had a snowstorm that snowed us in 16 inches, I was at home. I lived about uh, 20 miles away. Got a call from the new director of nursing who was, she was going to be the new director after this happened. Uh, the assistant director of nursing says only half the staff is here. What are we going to do? We had 179 patients in a 206 bed facility, and we usually had 170 workers there. We only have half the staff for 24 hour day care. What do we do? Well, from my Arthur Anderson training, which was all built around you have to have a plan, you have to have um, uh, uh, assignments, you have to do it by function, you have to have objectives. Well, this was to keep the place open, and the goals are is to make sure every patient gets their basic needs covered. So that was what I would explain, is that we need to have teams, and the teams need to be focused on a function, feeding, dressing, bathing, uh, emulating, uh, you know, those. 
And so she said, okay, we can do that. And then she had her assistant who was in charge of the nurse's aides and her, she was in charge of the nurses and then had somebody else that was in charge of the, of the meals that somebody else was in charge of keeping the, the heat on or the air conditioning on. That was put in place over the phone as a directive. And I got there two days later and I couldn't believe the difference between what I had left and what I experienced when I got there because everybody was working. Before, when I'd get there, no one was, everybody was hiding, I guess, when I showed up. That was an epiphany. It was so dramatic, I said, if we can run this place with half the staff, why are we hiring this many people and paying them less? Why don't we do this kind of job and pay these people more? And we will actually attract more patients here because we've got a nicer place. We hadn't corrected all of the odor problems, but we'd gotten away with, gotten rid of the, the cloth diapers, which were con- creating odor. We got the uh, baby diapers that you can dispose, the disposable ones. They didn't buy them because they, they were trying to save money. And we also gave all the patients at least two baths a week or more, depending upon what they needed. So we had bath aids. That's all they did. They all gave everybody their baths. Guess what? The odor went away. I had the the ceiling cleaned that hadn't been cleaned in 14 years. Anything that could contain odor, we cleaned up. The floors, uh, the place looked... You know, impeccable in 18 months. We were getting what I'm going to explain was the motivator. And it was a star system that the public health department, with my help when I was a consultant there, with the assistant director of public health, was called a quality incentive program to actually reward the exemplary nursing homes in the state as the best. Well, my staff, when I went there, I asked them, you know, do you know what a star is? No. They didn't know what a star was. They didn't have any stars. Anyway, I explained to them that the star represents what the six parts to the quality incentive program. First of all, you have to have a care plan that everybody's following. Second, you have to have the staff set up to do it so they get it done. Thirdly, they have to be doing it. Fourthly, they have to be documenting it. Fifthly, the patients need to be responding and getting the outcomes from it. And sixth is that the family and the the community recognize that of what's being done and they're willing to come in and and participate. Those six stars, I said, if if there's anybody here that doesn't believe that we're going to get those, you won't be here. That's exactly what Mike Ditka said to the 85 Bears when he got there and it was a mess. Eight years later... Uh, they became the Super Bowl champions because he said on day one, if there are any one of you players here that don't think we're going to win the Super Bowl, you won't be here. I said the same thing he did. And over a period of 18 months, we got the, the six stars of quality. The place was impeccable. And the owners, which the rabbi was the general uh, uh, partner, had a, a lease option to buy the facility at a, at a very low price considering the current value of nursing homes. <coughs> Excuse me. They wanted to exercise that option and then sell it. 
They wanted to get rid of it because it had been decertified. They couldn't get the Medicare money and all kinds of problems, which I had then fixed, of course, and got the financing to buy the facility. And they bought the facility and sold it. And I was out of a contract. But to just to, to prove to you that this thing was a, a complete disaster turned into a six-star ex- exemplary facility by a, a ragtag of multiple nationalities. I had every nationality possible. And they were teamed up as housekeepers were, were Polish and, and Mexicans were... Uh, housekeepers, no, no, in the kitchen. And the uh, Filipinos were nurses and the East Indian were, were night nurses and the black and brown uh, were uh, my nurse's aides. And I always felt that if they came to check, check green cards, I would be short of a lot of people because I think there were some illegal aliens in there that I really had to kind of and over a period of time, make sure that we upgraded the staff. But as we were able to get more money from the state for the bonuses they paid for the for the star system and for we put in a, a, a Medicaid programs for restoring people that added money to our rate. The Medicare rate went from sixty five dollars a day to one hundred and fifty dollars a day because we were providing therapies, getting people out better and out of the facility and more people came. So the occupancy went from 179 to 205. So I could say that there was 205 patients that wanted to be there so they could get out, get better and get out, because everybody always wanted to get out. I had 170 staff, not 200, but 170 doing more work that liked working there, and I had 205 families that would come there. So the proof of this is just, if you expand that into changing the culture of any organization, and America is a huge, obviously, organization split into 50 different teams, you have to do it on an overall, then focus in on the teams. And the teams are the ones that then pursue what that particular uh, entity is assigned as their objectives and their goals. So that's the way my thinking is for changing the culture in America. I took this model, which I call the enterprise model, I took it to another facility that was run by the Adventist church. They had bought 50, not knowing what they were buying because they were getting into the nursing home business. This one, Carrington, was losing 100000 a month. Uh, rather than the rabbi, I knew the president of of the organization, he knew me from my past reputation, hired me in the, on a contract, and it took me 22 months, did the same thing. They wanted to sell them. The president of, of that uh, chain bought six, and I became his consultant. So from that point on, I was not just doing individual facilities. I was ju- doing these chains, helping them carry this concept of the enterprise model and and improving their Medicare revenue. If the, if the claims are denied, we appealed them, got them turned over. We developed software. 
on processing their costs so they knew what their costs were, not by department, but by patient, and then by episode, which is something my son and I invented and created. So over the last 30, 40 years, that's all I've been doing is turning around businesses and having a method that works. And that's what I'm proposing with this American Enterprise Party is that we have to approach it like it is turning, turning around a business. My second volume of my book is, is the manifesto. Manifesto meaning change. It's a quasi-reorganization of a huge American enterprise. And within those 13 articles of reorganization, like I'm treating it like it's a bankrupt company and we're having to turn it around. Um, they're called bailouts. We're bailing out America. You know, the first step is you got to get your debt reorganized. You have to write down some debt. Uh, you know, you write down the China debt. You write down uh, uh, a lot of the other imbalance of trade debt. China's because they they uh, infected us with COVID probably, and the rest of them are, are charging us for shipping. That's no longer going to be acceptable. They have to pay the shipping. They have to pay the unloading and the distribution, getting it on our shelf, and they even have to pay a fee for shelf space. So then we have a business. We have not just trade we have the enterprise model. We're going to solve the problems. We're changing the culture to teams, not parties, not republics and states. We've got each state organized as problem solvers. My, my, my formula was you get the problem solvers closer to where the problem starts. That was a Deming thing that he taught the Japanese. The problem solvers need to be where the problem starts. Get rid of waste. Waste is profit. Japanese got his picture on their wall. Why? Because he taught them that you don't wait till the end to throw the car away. You stop the production line, fix whatever is going to happen, and you make your money on not having to throw anything away. That's true of nursing homes. It's not throwing people away. It's the fact that you are getting people better. They're going home. More are coming because there are more that need it. 77 million baby boomers are going to need nursing home care, and they don't want to live there. We're calling them residents. They need to be patients, and then we need to, to trans, trans, uh, transfer them through a continuum. And I have a book on that. It's called Health Care for All. It really sets up each health care a provider as an enterprise. And they have to track everything on outcome, not just get the income for a diagnosis or a prescription drug. They have to prove that they're delivering something before they get paid, getting people better, preventing something. We have to have our health care on a business-like, not institution. It's why government is screwed up. It's treated as an institution and no one's accountable for anything. It's a church. Who's accountable? Well, the president's accountable for everything because the minister is accountable. No, it's a business. You break it down into its units and teams and goals and objectives and, and, and measure the results. Man, you have a different 
result, you have less debt, you have more profits, you have better people, you have a future. You don't bury this thing in the stock market crash and the and everybody blaming everybody else while the money goes out the window to our competitors who say America's imperialistic. America has caused all this. Capitalism has called all this. Capitalism is not just money, it's people. You know, it's monetary capital and sweat capital. When I went in to finance my, my accounting firms, they said, okay, you can put in your your money or your relative's money, that's capital, or you can borrow some capital, but you have to have capital, and then you have to have the people here, and the owner sometimes has to put sweat capital, not taking anything out until they get it going, and then you have your employees. That's a social aspect of American business. The other side is the capital side. The capital money and the and the social workers Capitalism, socialism work together in an enterprise, which in itself, no matter how small you go, is a team. And as it goes up in scale to the whole United States or to each state, it becomes an enterprise. And an enterprise model that I used, that Arthur Anderson taught me, can be placed on every state. They compete against each other. How? Well, it's birth rate, it's uh, crime rate, it's pregnancy, uh, young uh, teenage pregnancy rate, abortion rate, uh, the analyticals that are proof of quality, quality indicators. Qual- like my star system, the, the states would have maybe 10 analytics that are important to showing their exemplary. And then each state are compared. They're all in the the same league, in the... And the winner of this Super Bowl League is the number one state in the country. Now, what are you going to have from that result? You'll have what I had, is we had we had excellence. That's exemplary. We're in the pursuit of excellence. We're not in the pursuit of money. We're not in the pursuit of anything other than Humanism, people working together, um, being peaceful. We actually can work with people in other countries if we teach them this. In my books, I'm proposing in, in, in uh, volume three, which is about how we restore the work ethic, where or where is it gone, is that we have a, the Peace Corps, resurrect the Peace Corps, call it the Enterprise Corps, and we're going around to these smaller countries, particularly Africa, Africa has more going on in a small business way than America with their handheld cell phone and cryptocurrency. They're starting little businesses over there. What they need to do is to be able to put a a rule of law around it and have a democracy, and Africa will kick rear end. And China knows that. They've got money they're putting into those emerging countries. They borrowed a trillion dollars from the International Monetary Fund in two tranches to go out and do what America said they were doing with foreign aid. You don't make it foreign aid. You make it an investment. China is investing 
their plan, if you go and look at my book at number one, would just knock you on your tail. It's called The Wolf Warrior, a, a, a way of destroying America. They, they, the Chinese have a focus that goes back 2,000 years that doesn't result in anything except victory. So they're, they're in the serious mode, and it's not going to be won with a nuclear weapon. It's going to be won by their 1.4 billion people. They, they, don't, they don't have unions there. They got one company, CCP Inc., and a bunch of oligarchs and a bunch of people that work for them that, that no, they don't go on strike. They have low overhead. Our, our government puts 40% overhead on every small business with all these regulations and rules and, and laws that the lawmakers who never ran a business are imposing on everyone. We're going to lose this game. And I show you in volume one where we are right now as we're about $12, $12 trillion a year behind with this Biden group who's never run a business and is going to destroy this in charge. I don't care if Trump comes back. Hey, I would I would love to have him be the president of the American Enterprise Party, but then we would all we'd just be in the same shape of trying to take it over. So I'm not even concerned about the American Enterprise president. I just want the seats on the, me the swing vote, and then you'll get the right people coming in here. You'll get the right leaders, because we aren't breeding re- leaders. We're breeding clones to this whole concept of the wealth rises to the top and everything else is at the bottom. That's the communist model. It's a commune. Same as you got with a commune or Marxist. Just you don't own anything. You just are at home happy drinking and, and having a great time in your, you know, there was a movie where the, the, the little robot found everybody in the, in, in the swimming pool in a chair and they all were overweight and, Worthless. So whether you believe in America now or not, all I'm selling here is a way to uh, change the culture. And elections have consequences. We elected the progressives. Okay, take a look at the economy, see how it's doing. Take a look at their foreign policy. We, we jumped out of Afghanistan and ran. We're running away from, from um, uh, Russia because of contacts that our president has had with Russia through his, through his son. Uh, same is true of China. The, uh, our foreign policy is, is leading from behind. Our domestic policy uh, is... Uh, executive orders, 54, that were signed the day or two after the Wizard of Oz was put in front as our president. There were 190-some executive orders and um, what do they call memorandums that were signed that reversed all of Trump's uh, successes. And there is no plan of action. The plan of action is stated by People like the the squad, their green plan of their green New Deal plan, which is dead on arrival. Everything converted to electric by twenty fifty and not, and emission free. Uh, 
we don't have enough money for fossil fuel to make all that stuff. So it's it's dead on arrival this century anyway. Taxation, we only take in $3.6 a year, so it barely pays the cost of government. Health care, $4.2 trillion spent on Obamacare that promised not to cost one dime. And we don't pay for outcomes, we pay for the provider incomes. So it's, it's as we have the baby boomers really hit that, you know, skids in their older years, that thing is going to double in no time. Uh, but it wasn't going to cost us one dime. And uh, then Biden said the infrastructure bill was, was, wouldn't cost one penny, that the wealthy would pay for it. Well, I think the wealthy should invest in it. I think to rebuild the infrastructure, including the inner cities, which are, I would put as the number one uh, uh, place to, to spend the money, is to clean it up and then assign the responsibility for the businesses and keeping that way to the gangs. You know, take the gang's excuse away. Get them back into their families. Get them magic. Get them learn to earn and have a skill to build, and then they can participate in the American dream. The debt has to be written down. We have to get rid of the thirty trillion plus the hundred and fifty trillion of 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 unrecorded obligations, such as Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and those aren't going to be cut. They have to be they have to be worked into the budget. So we cut the areas of waste. We make money on our on our balance of trade, and we can pay the debt down in 10 years, not spend more that encumbers America for more of the progressives, Green New Deal and infrastructure, $100 trillion spending that we, need, we can't afford it, plus the fact it's counterproductive to us winning the trade war. Government spending has to be within a generally accepted accounting system and a budget that isn't just some harebrained guess. The spending has to be on the basis of what's it cost and what's it going to pay off. You know, cost-benefit analysis. We, we never, that's never done. And our culture will change. The resulting culture from all of this will put us and keep us, keep us in first place. We're in first place, have been for some time, but now we're on a losing streak. We're going to be another Rome with the violence, vulgarity, and excess wealth at certain places that we have now. And in my book, I say, et tu, Brute, Trump falls as Caesar was assassinated, and Biden rises as Pompeii. And as Pelosi and Schumer fiddle, uh, AOC uh, is running the um, rest of the business, Rome and USA, very similar in, uh, in, in where they are. So in summing this up, and this has been over an hour, and I'm going to break this down into more than just one podcast, is that am I running for president? No. No. I have 60 years experience in turnarounds. This is a huge project. I am only proposing in my books the plan and the experience that I've had from it working. And I will be the CEO and founder of the party.
And whoever wants to participate in this turnaround, I want them then coming in and helping make it a movement. Because this will save America. I said it wasn't just to save America, it's to keep us great. It's to keep us great so it saves America from where it's headed. And um, as far as who's going to be the cabinet and who's going to be this and who's going to be that, uh, what I'm saying is that the plan will draw, the, the game will draw the players. If this, like the Bears, and, and, and as Ditka said, Anybody that comes on board now, if you don't believe that we're going to win the trade war and we're going to stay number one, then you shouldn't be voting for the American Enterprise Party. You should continue to, you know, throw your money at these other two losers. And they are at this point, in my estimation, losing the game. So with that... Uh, I'm saying over and out, and uh, if you're listening, tell other people about what you heard. If you believe, then contact me and let me know if you want to join. I have a website. It's www.americanenterprisepoliticalparty.org. I'm going to open it up for political contributions. I have a not-for-profit organization to handle the funds. I'm not going to do a BLM thing with $90 million. I'd love to have $90 million to put uh, in our campaign because the campaign is not going to focus on negative ads. These ads will all be positive. They'll be on how you change the culture, what is the enterprise model, what is the enterprise party, uh, what what what, what, what? Well, it's in the books. You could even find this, this whole campaign if you just buy my books. And the, as far as I'm concerned, it goes into the party coffers, not me. You know, I'm supposedly retired. But I just want you to know that I, the only thing I'm running for right now is on my treadmill so I can live to the century mark. And my wife and I, we've been married almost 63 years. We're both in great health. You can find our pictures. We don't look 80. I'm going to be 83, my wife 82. Do I sound like I'm 83? Everybody thinks over 65 is completely brainless. I'm finding that uh, we have more vitality, my wife and I, than we had when we were 30. People say we look like we're 50 or 60. Hey, that's great. But it's all about positive attitude, positive values. Our family, we have 32 in our family, four children, 12 grandchildren, uh, nine great-grandchildren, and it's growing. And we have a stable family. Now, it's blended because we've had uh, some others come in as, as second marriages or, or whatever, it's going to happen. But I think one of the strengths of America is the bonding of our families and having a father and a mother in, in the, the family unit. That's the problem in the ghettos. It's been destroyed. I, I look at it as just another slave labor camp or concentration camp. It, it, is, not, it is not what America represents. It represents freedom 
and liberty for all. Now, liberty in this sense is is to participate, learn to earn and and build to skill to build is the formula I'm proposing for all of Americans. If you learn how to do that and you come in here from I don't care what country through what whatever portal we're going to set up to make sure that you're not a terrorist or a drug dealer, you're going to be successful. This country's looking for your kind of of a background because you've seen the worst. You know, most of our young people here, which my my son-in-law calls effing socialists, um, has been brought up in, 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 a, in an education system that's trying to indict us for some of the bad things that happened in America. Well, I think we've learned from a lot of those, and we should not forget it. And so I am not one to say organizations need to read, burn their history or burn the books or, or forget about our heroes or forget about the wars we won or we lost. We need to keep that in our history so we can refer to it to say, okay, that's what we don't want to do again or we want to do that again. I am not one of those do-gooders that said we, we have to make everybody happy. They have to make themselves happy. They have to have the opportunity to be happy. And yes, I've written poetry books, and I have in my three volumes a lot of poetry regarding my view and visions and values of what will make or keep America great. I call it My America. And all three volumes is a poem I wrote. It's called My America. And then in my podcast, I said, well, you know, that's not, that's not the America that they, that they have in the ghetto or the slums. So I wrote the poem from their viewpoint. It was just the opposite. And then I wrote a poem on, so I called it Their America, and then I had one called Our America. Okay, that's the way I'm viewing this. Is This is what I view. This is what the, the, the view of those that don't have the American dream. And here's... The, the situation when we all, and this is not the greater good, this is the individual good. It's, it's focused on everybody participating in the American dream. I'll reiterate what the American dream is. It is learn to earn, skill to build. So our education system and our businesses have to have a culture of nonviolence, without vulgar, vulgarity, and we need to have you earn what you earn based on what you learn. And that is the enterprise model. The American Enterprise Party stands for that, does not plan to be the majority party. I see that, that, that three parties is, is to way to break ties, and I would say that the Supreme Court needs to stay the way it is. I'm a proponent of leaving abortion and the way it has been interpreted by the Supreme Court. If it pushes, it pushes it back to each state, then they're going to have to be responsible for whatever the, the uh, elected people say they support. But I don't think, just like a, a religion, I don't think we'll ever agree on abortion. There's a pros and cons, and you could talk all day on it. And I just believe that we have to prevent it by having stronger families, 
get rid of premarital sex to the degree that we can and not promote uh, couples uh, living together before they get married. Sure, that's what happened in my situation. And were we virgins? I'm not saying that that was the case. I'm not saying that that's a requirement. I'm not saying that's what happened in our family. I'm just saying is that we have to take some responsibility for what our actions are personally. And then see how it fits into our position in the in the team. So thanks for listening, and uh, I'll be talking to you later.